it's so so good. It's so awesome to bring that up too, because you know that that like what do kids have to worry about mentality? Uh I'm not I don't want to say that parents are wrong, but we all were kids and uh we need to understand that small things that happen in a child's life because they are still developing and because they're still gaining that perspective in life, uh, they feel a lot larger at the time. I'd like to welcome everyone to another episode of the Let's Gather podcast. I'm your host, Zeke, and this episode I have Brie Unreliably to speak about mental health. You can find more information about her by clicking the link in the description below. I give a content warning for trying to let me use this episode and hope a nice day and enjoy the show. Thank you for joining the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Nice. So you can introduce yourself to the get to the um, audience and then we can get into the podcast. All right. Yeah. Well, my name is Brie Tataglione. I go by Brie Undeniably. Uh, I am a licensed uh, school counselor and I'm working on my clinical mental health counseling license right now. I also have my own mental health services business and uh, top priority is I'm actually a motivational speaker. So that's how I'm on these podcasts and uh, really uh, going around to different businesses, companies and uh, telling my story and bringing the message. Nice. And would you say that's your origin story? If you do have one, how would you like to represent it? I love that. So uh, my origin story is definitely, I mean, it it has to do with uh, me and I what happened in my life. So long story short, in March 2020, as the world shut down, so too did my body. Out of nowhere, I was 28 years old and I was uh, rendered paralyzed for several weeks At that time, I really didn't know what was going on. The conversations that I had with doctors were that uh, I might never be able to walk again, uh, that things could get worse and I might actually lose mobility in my whole body. They might need to amputate uh, or, you know, something else could come of it. So they really didn't know what was going on. And I had to work with it. Those are my cards. So, uh, my origin story comes out of the fact that when, when life literally is pulled out from underneath you, as it was from me, literally and metaphorically, uh, that's when I stepped up again, literally and metaphorically. Nice. And how would you like to represent that? Would you make, write a book, Mm -hmm. make a movie, TV show, Indian nature? I mean, I, I'm really represented uh, by writing a, a story about it now and writing a book now. So definitely putting it together on paper and uh, for other people to see. But I mean, a movie would be awesome too. <laughs> Something like that would be real cool. But right now it's actually in the works of becoming a book. Nice. So now we can get into the podcast. So why is mental health very important? First thing. That's, I mean, that's a great question. Mental health is the same as our physical health. And just for whatever reason, we have always put more effort into our physical health. Uh, 
oftentimes it's because we can actually see the results in the mirror, whereas mental health, it's taking place inside of us. So we have to feel the results and it's just not that easy. So, uh, you know, that might be why it's kind of getting pushed to the side, but the importance of mental health, again, is the same as the importance of physical health. We have a mind body connection. So if we are not feeling like we are in a great headspace in our mental, it's going to push out into every other part of our life. So mental health specifically needs to be a priority in our life. If we want to continue to move forward and actualize and get to where we want to be. I mean, there's so many reasons, but uh, I just like to compare it to the physical health because that's a baseline for a lot of people. It is just as important. And with that, I definitely do see a lot of people um, presented all different cultures and different um, beliefs that this is another aspect of your life mm-hmm. that you have to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this mental health is not, it does not discriminate. You know, everyone is affected. And uh, I like that you bring in different cultures and beliefs because it's really important that we do, uh, especially me as a mental health professional, that I do maintain an understanding that mental health is seen and looked at in different ways in different cultures. I know that uh, many cultures don't, don't see it as a need. And there's other, there's other sort of avenues that are taken in place of mental health, which is also okay. And, you know, just because it doesn't have the name doesn't mean it's not doing the same thing, but whether it's within the family dynamic and the family structure of working on things that are going on in your head or it's seeking out professional help. Uh, you know, again, it doesn't discriminate. So uh, we can be affected in a lot of different ways in a lot of different spaces. And the importance is in seeking help. However, you can seek help comfortably in your community and in your culture. Got it. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And with the um, rise of like people being aware, how can people start their journey? and thinking about it? I think that's, that is such a great question. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a few different ways. First of all, um, if we're talking about starting your journey and just understanding about your own mental health, that's actually going to take place with your feelings. That's going to take place right inside of you. You don't need to be contacting anyone else. That's just tuning into you. And it's pretty cool because our feelings tell us a lot of things about ourselves. They are actually tools that we can use to understand what's taking place inside of us when it doesn't feel like it's so easy to understand. But once you tuned into your feelings, uh, then you have to decide if it's, if it's something that you should seek other resources for, uh, reasons that you might need to seek resources would be if those feelings that you're having are really impacting your life in a negative way. They're, if they're really holding you back from school, work, family, love, uh, happiness, if, if those things feel like they're not a part of your life or they can't be a part of your life because of what you're feeling, that might be a reason to go seek help from someone else and ways to seek help, you know, just, just to get started. Uh, there are a lot of different, um, there's a lot of different places you can find support. So if it's not, if, if you do have insurance, you can go right through insurance and find mental health resources there. If you do not have 
insurance, uh, check through work. A lot of times jobs offer mental health resources, or they can put together a list of resources in the community. And that would be another place to look would be the community. So if, uh, you know, it's not insurance and it's not through work, there are community resources, check your local community centers, check, uh, boys and girls clubs, check libraries. There's a lot of different places that will have resources or access to them and people who can help you help you find resources that are affordable so that you can make sure that you are again, getting the, the mental health support the same way we get physical health support. Uh, definitely. And is this similar to your uh, mental health journey that lets you become professional? Uh, that's such a that's such a great question. Interestingly enough, I was in education for a while. I realized that I wasn't particularly passionate about a specific subject, but I really liked helping my students grow. I really liked that social emotional aspect of helping them grow because I was working in middle schools. So that's really where you're seeing the growth happen too. that sixth to eighth grade time frame. Not only again, is the physical completely changing, but our minds are changing. Our bodies are changing. Our lives are changing at that time. So I really liked that, that, part of uh, school working in schools. That's what brought me to become a school counselor. And then I went through, like I said, my own personal medical journey. And that has what has led me on the rest of my path. So getting into motivational speaking, uh, seeking out another licensure to be able to be a clinical mental health counselor. So it's a little bit of both. I knew I liked the space, but then, you know, Something happened to me and it really pushed me full force into wanting to help others. It's good that you found like what you liked and like you was able to like pick apart on um, the parts you didn't. So what was kind of like that moment of you realizing that? Um, oh man. So uh, the moment when I, when I realized that like, I really wanted to keep going in the mental health space. Yeah. So you know, for me, I would say it, it was probably when I took my first steps again, you know, at, uh, learning how to walk again, really transformed everything within me. Uh, it, it sort of brought this power out of me that I didn't previously know that I had, uh, it brought this awareness to me, sort of like this, this focal point. And that really was taking my, uh, first steps again, like we watch babies take their first steps, but you know, I just, I, I got to do it myself. And at this point, I consider that a blessing at the time. It was really scary, but now I'm like, I got to experience something that most individuals don't experience. And because of that, it really, uh, pushed everything else forward. Got it. Definitely. And to go back to like being a school counselor, do you see like the, um, the children having like children are focusing on, wait, let me just take a second. So with children on focus on their mental health, do you see it like starting early, but they don't have like the vocabulary for it yet? Such a great question. I think that, uh, I think that children and adolescents are really focused on their feelings. And so you're, you're spot on the fact that they just don't have that vocabulary for it yet. They just don't have, you know, the, the, 
the knowledge or the awareness to say like, Hey, like my mental health is not a hundred percent right now, but they can say, Hey, I'm really feeling this, or this has me worked up or I'm anxious over this. And so we then use those words and those feelings to sort of pull out more. Okay. You're feeling this, where did it come from? Where do you think it's going? Do you think that, you know, are you looking for tools on how to work on that feeling? Do you want to feel more of it or less of it? So uh, we do, I do use their language because, you know, feelings are something that we feel from the day that we're born. Again, it's building that language and understanding, you know, when we're younger, it's just happy, sad, and mad. And then we start to develop, we start to understand like what is, what stress means, what anxiety is, what depression is, what excitement is. And, you know, we start to get into all those different spaces. So it really is uh, talking about your feelings sort of as the seed of what mental health is. And then as they grow on to uh, later middle school and high school, they have that vocabulary to really speak on it. Yeah, can I say that because a lot of times I hear like parents say what the kids have to worry about and mm-hmm. they'll be taking a chance like even though like things are small to you because you went through it or you can see the whole picture in that moment that child doesn't have that much life experience to like go through it, or they also do have feelings themselves. That's so so good. So awesome to bring that up too because you know that that like what do kids have to worry about mentality uh I'm not, I don't want to say that parents are wrong, but we all were kids and uh, we need to understand that small things that happen in a child's life because they are still developing and because they're still gaining that perspective in life, uh, they feel a lot larger at the time. And oftentimes it's because they've never experienced it before. So when we get as adults, we understand that there's, you know, the unfortunate concrete things that we have to worry about, like bills and money and work and family and X, Y, and Z. And there's so many things that, that, you know, can pile worry onto our plates, but for kids and adolescents, when they experience that moment for the first time, that's also a really big moment. Even if it's just a matter of whether or not, you know, they're going to make the basketball team, you know, even if it's just, or if they didn't make the basketball team, for example, uh, you know, that is a moment that as adults, we know that we're going to go through life and we're not going to get picked for everything. We're not going to get every job. And it's kind of just par for the course. But for kids, if this is their first time really experiencing that rejection or that disappointment, or that something they worked so hard for and they didn't get, that is a huge deal because it's the very first time. So we have to be able to put ourselves back into that perspective and understand as they grow their perspective and their mindset and experience grows. But we have to understand that it's really small at that time so feelings become much bigger in such a small space definitely and with that sorry blink for a second I had that question <laughs> that's okay um so with that well one thing I was thinking about like how to like because sometimes you have to like put your like, mental health to like decide to like not feel mm-hmm. anything in the moment because yeah. they like get to something but like that's not always like the best lesson or less thing to tell because some people might forget to go back to their emotions i mean you are just like nailing <laughs> these questions right now I, mean, I could talk about this forever but 
what I call that, um, especially if you never, you know, there's something called compounding emotions. And it's basically when uh, you have to put on this thick skin or this tough skin in, a, in the moment. And so you push your emotions down and your feelings down, which is something that can be a skill if we do it, but then allow ourselves to feel because if we don't feel, we can't heal. So if you push your emotions down in the moment, but then never allow yourself the space to refeel them and move through them, then they're just going to get stuck down there. It's like a callus, like, a, you know, when you think about when your hands get calloused here, they just keep getting hardened and hardened and hardened. And that's kind of like what can happen with your emotions, but eventually it's almost like a balloon that will build up that if you keep callousing your emotions and hardening and pushing them down and not offering yourself the space uh, to then move through them, once you have that privacy or once you have that time and ability, then uh, it's going to, it's going to build up to the point where it might bubble over. Uh, And I say might, but I actually mean it will for some people, it might take a year for some people. It might take 30 years. So it, it just depends on our capacity to really hold in those emotions. But uh, I encourage everyone, if you can be that strength and that strong person and those who are being that strength and those, those backbones for family and loved ones and themselves, uh, you know, I'm sending you all the support because you're, you're taking on a, something that is so incredibly difficult, but please find quiet space for you find a private time to grieve to feel to resurface that emotion and it's so crazy what feeling can do because we can push it down and it might just manifest in anger for years and years and years but that's just because it's literally like pushing down like like you think of like an angry bear, like who's just hungry for, you know, food and can't find food because it's the winter time, you know, or they're hibernating or anything like that. They're just going to get more and more angry until something is uh, offered or until they find the food that they need. So, you know, and, or any animal in the wild, you know, they get, they get more uh, riled up until they find what they need. That's what happens with humans with anger. Uh, when we just push emotions down further and further and further, the only way they can really come out is, or often the only way they come out is in anger. And so, uh, to avoid that, we just need to find the space to push through them and to feel them. And, you know, sometimes a grieving process can take 24 hours, but then you've moved through it. Sometimes it might take a week, a couple weeks, a month, but again, you have to feel in order to heal. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And let's go back. Let's go to motivational speaking. So how is your journey in that going so far? Mm-hmm. So um, motivational speaking is something that I have always done almost as like a, a pastime hobby. And then I realized I could really do it and use my story and my testimony as something that's really empowering for other people who might be uh, facing something that they didn't expect to face in their lives. So for me, motivational speaking has become 
almost this, this space of connection, this place where I get to share my journey and my story, but use it as a, a, a launch pad to encourage other people to embrace their stories and their testimony and what they're going through. And we really work with mindset. When I am speaking, uh, mindset is a huge part of what I speak on because it's about understanding that our, how we move about the world is not determined so much by our circumstances as it is determined by our minds. Uh, and, and, you know, the way that I frame that is with one moment in my story where a few days after I was paralyzed, I asked why me so many times, why me, why me, why me? Um, and, and I realized, I don't know where I'm looking for the answers and it, whether I am a, a believer or not, uh, that answer wasn't going to come directly to me. So I, I wasn't getting the words or the feedback that I was looking for. I couldn't answer it for myself. Doctors couldn't answer it for me. Nurses couldn't answer it for me. Uh, and, and no power of, of our being was going to answer it directly for me. And because of that, I realized asking that question was a powerless statement. The mindset comes in when I had this moment of, I sort of shook myself and asked like, why are you allowing your circumstance to be powerless? And so then just out of nowhere, I flipped the script and I said, because me, I took all that power back into my hands and owned my circumstance because I didn't have control over it, but I could have ownership over it. And that is where that mindset power shift dynamic comes from. Even though we don't have control over our circumstances, we can still take ownership of them and the fact that they are part of who we are. They are part of our lives that we are living and we need to find a way to be able to move forward with them. So I changed why, why me from because me, I went from a powerless statement to a powerful statement and that changed everything. And that is really one of the examples that I use most frequently in motivational speaking is to encourage people to find where they're asking why me and see if they can replace it with because me and see how that changes. See if bringing the power back into their hands is able to flip everything else on its head. Because for me, it did. But also there's more tools after because me that can help you really hold on to that power and harness it. Yes, because like it's like looking at the problem but not looking for solutions. You're mm -hmm. just trying to re-evaluate what happened, but not like, okay, now now that it happened, what's next? Right. Right. Especially when it's a situation that we have no control over. I mean, you know, I talk about uh fixed limitations and limiting beliefs. Basically, in our physical space, what can we not change? What is fixed? What is a limitation that's unchanging? Uh, you know, a lot of fixed limitations are things like medical experiences or, you know, uh, family situations. We don't have power over others. Uh, you know, circumstances that we don't have control over, no matter how much control we wish we did. That's a fixed limitation. Limiting belief is what we're telling ourselves we don't have control over when we actually do. And that's 
exactly this mindset example is I was continuing to tell myself I didn't have control over any part of the situation when in fact, I just didn't have control over my, my legs and my body, but that didn't change who I was previous to this experience. And it wasn't going to change who I was going to continue to be. It could, it could expand my perspective. It can bring me new knowledge about myself, but I still have the power to become who I want to be regardless of if my legs move or not period. I just, you know, and, and I had to understand that, you know, circumstance does not equate to a uh, full life experience. Yes. I see a lot of people, and my friend told me to stop thinking like, I'm not good at something is that I'm not practice well practicing it, which is mm-hmm. the difference. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Of, of course, you're not good at it, you know, right now yeah. yet. That's the power word right there. I'm not good at it yet. We just stop at I'm not good at it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, again, that leaves us powerless. But sometimes uh, it's a defense mechanism for us as human beings, because when we know that we don't have the skill or the power to do something yet, it means that to get there, we're probably going to have to step into discomfort. And we don't like to step into discomfort as humans. We like to be comfortable. We like to, we like to, you know, not have to feel vulnerable because feeling vulnerable means that we have to experience fear and feeling fear is really uncomfortable because it probably means that something bad could happen. So we don't put yet at the end of, I can't do that. Cause that means that if we try to do it, we could fail. And that's that whole cycle of discomfort. The, the solution is though, that stepping into discomfort might be the biggest power play we have as human beings. That is where all of the growth happens. And sticking with on motivation, how do people like receive your message when you're speaking to them? What's their reaction? Uh, most, well, all the audiences that I've spoke with have, uh, you know, felt really empowered, really compelled by my story and really empowered to make those changes in their lives that they need to be able to move forward themselves. Uh, often people, you know, I do something which is like taking inventory of your life with my audiences and uh, often people kind of go one of two ways. They realize that they have so much power over their lives, but they've been holding themselves back based on their mind, or they've like, we've already talked about, they've just been allowing their really extreme circumstances to dictate everything else. So um, it's either, I mean, it's a mindset shift in both ways, but some people realize like, wow, there's actually no roadblocks in front of me, except for what I'm telling myself. And others realize that there are major fixed limitations that are surrounding me, but I can still use my mindset to be able to work with them rather than against them. Okay. And how do you feel when you're telling your story? Like what goes through your mind? For me, it's, it, it really is like, I, 
love the fact that I can use something that I've gone through to bring power to others. Uh, motivation, inspiration. It's been something that I've always felt compelled to do my whole life. It's something that I feel like I practiced just even as a kid, I was always the one cheering people on and making sure like everyone, you know, was able to get through difficult things. And, you know, I was always kind of that support system and that cheerleader. So actually bringing it full circle into my career space to become a motivational speaker and to empower people for a living and to, to change lives off of it. I mean, I don't think I've felt anything more inspiring for me. It's something that I just want to continue to keep doing and see who else I can impact. Got it. And let's get into the book. We don't have to tell anybody, wasn't it, but how's that process going? Uh, yeah, so books going really well, actually. So, um, I use my testimony and my story, but I also use it to talk about what we experience and how we allow those experiences to move us forward or hold us back. Very similar to what we're speaking on now. Uh, but there is a really large emphasis on pain and on the fact that as human beings are one of our singular unifying experiences as humans is pain. And you can go into any room at any time, in any place, anywhere. I promise you, you can point to anyone and you can know that that person has experienced pain as well. And it's something that we don't often think about because we don't like to be unified by things that feel uncomfortable. But when we realize that we all have this unifying experience of pain, which can happen in different degrees, for some people, it can be incredibly, uh, you know, traumatic pain and experience of suffering, which is one experience of pain. But for another, again, when we go back to the adolescent example of their perspective being much smaller, that pain can feel just as intense if it is pain of a breakup or something like that. So we experience it incrementally in our lives. And there's definitely degrees of what that experience is, but at the, at the core of pain at its very seed level, we all, we all know what that feels like. And so pain is a big, uh, a big unifying factor in the book that I'm writing as well, because oftentimes it's the pain that secures us to our experience and secures us to our, our moments and holds us back from being able to push past it. So, uh, the writing is going good. It's definitely, I'm writing a book is a long process. <laughs> it's really like time chunking. You take about a half hour to an hour a day, put some words on the paper, draft out a couple things. And then for me, at least I have to just put it aside. So it's a day by day by day process. So now that the book is going well and everything like that, um, how do you, like as your time as a counselor, how do you deal with like students who are resistant to like the um process? Mm -hmm. So one of one of the best tools in my toolbox, especially as a counselor, is I have I have no power or influence if I don't first meet my students where they're at. So I can't force 
therapy or anything therapeutic or counselor like on them if they're not ready to receive it. But if what they need to receive is just a human there saying, I'm listening, then that's where we start. So I have to use whatever I can to meet my students and my clients where they're at. And the beauty of that is when you meet someone where they're at, meaning where they're they are ready to have some type of communication or interaction, uh, it will grow, but you have to just be patient. So again, there's no uh, resistant students. It's, it's like part of the job description for middle school students, especially. It's, uh, I don't know many who aren't resistant, except for the ones who know that uh, staying in the counselor's room means that they don't have to go back to their classroom. So those are the ones who aren't resistant, but that's because they figured out how to work the system. <laughs> but my resistant students, which are many, uh, it's a matter of me being a human first. I take off my counselor hat. I take off my adult in the building hat and I just put on my human hat and I say, I'm here to listen. And it's one of the best things that you can do, especially in the counseling space, because for me as a counselor, uh, and my students do know this, uh, everything that we speak on, unless there is a danger to themselves or others is 100% confidential. And that even includes, uh, typical teenager things and adolescent things with, uh, experimenting and such. So obviously I have to use my best judgment, but it's not uncommon for adolescents in, in middle school to be, let's say, trying alcohol or experimenting with, you know, or any, if they want to tell me about sexual experiences, you know, any of that, as long as it's sort of like within the typical realm of adolescent development, it stays with the student and I. So that safe space and that space of comfort really allows them to be able to open up when I say I'm just here to listen. And then we slowly get into, you know, more advanced things and how I can help them. Yeah, definitely. I definitely remember people being in the council office in school, using that like the escape, but like yeah. everybody needs to escape every now and then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm okay being the escape place. I think that that's one of the powers that I hold in school is you can sit with me all day long. As long as, you know, we're making progress in some direction, then I'm happy to have you here. Got it. And through your journey, everything is like connecting from like work as a in school, then come like a counselor and then mental health journey, everything. So do you like walk through life with a plan or do you react to things that happen and then you figure out from there? Oh, that's what a question. <laughs> uh, it's a combination of both. I would say that I have a very flexible and fluid plan that is able to pivot whenever life pivots. So it's a matter of, you know, doing the best that I can to take steps forward in a positive direction, but also making sure that if life pivots or if I need to pivot, that I will be okay to continue, uh, you know, to make that pivot as well and sort of change course and then 
carry on. So it's definitely a little bit of both. Life definitely happens at me, but I try to uh, make a plan to get through it as well. Got it. I feel like that's a lot of people where things sometimes things go well, like mm-hmm. things go as planned, but then a lot of times it's like, this is not what I expected it to be. So right. I'm just trying to make a new one. It's very true. <laughs> Is there anything I haven't mentioned that you want to um, go over? Oh, man. Um, you know, one. I guess one of the biggest points that I'll drive home, uh, especially with speaking, you know, we talked about mindset, but one of the other main points that I like to talk about is self-efficacy. And what that means is that uh, it's the power that we have as human beings to recognize our capabilities, even if we haven't actually done it yet. So let's say I have never written a book before, which I have not, but my ability to understand that I can do this and that I will figure out how to do it is what continues to push me forward to be able to do that called self-efficacy. It's a power that we all have, and it's a skill that we have to practice. But I like to bring it up because my whole business, everything that I've done, everything that I, that I work on is built off of the motto to buy into the possibility of you. And all it means is that we all have the power and the potential to be something more than what we are or where we're at. And we need to be able to tap into that power, which is often outside of our realm of vision. We often can't see it in front of us or in our peripherals. It's outside of all of that. But we have to know somewhere floating out there is our potential and our power and our possibility. And that if we can incrementally work towards building the skills to get there, then you're doing everything that you can to continue to move forward in your life. Yeah. Sounds about right. (laughs) Are there any questions you want to ask before we go towards the last question? Uh, I don't, I don't know that I, (laughs) that I have any off the top, but let's, yeah, let's go into the last question. And so the last question is, what would your, what would you name your origin story? Mm. Oh man. Um, what would I name it? Learning how to walk through life physically and metaphorically. That seems like (laughs) it would be it. (laughs) And where can people find you if they, when they connected? Uh, so uh, all my socials are at Brie underscore undeniably. That's B-R-I underscore U-N-D-E-N-I-A-B-L-Y. You can just type Brie undeniably and anywhere you're going to find it. My website is also Brie undeniably. And I am actively seeking uh, speaking engagements for the 2023 speaking season. So if anyone listening is looking for motivational or inspirational speakers, please reach out. I'd be happy to chat with you. Nice. And thank you again for joining the podcast. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks. That brings another episode of the last gather podcast to a close. Again, you can find more information about Brie Unreliably by clicking the link in the description below. For next, we got 10 light tail 
to speak about his movie, Bam Baby. Hope you did that day, and I hope to see you there.